Grab your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be some people coming around here with a Bible and uh, borrow that. If you don't own a Bible, have that. Philippians chapter 4, I just want to let you know, uh, fasten your seatbelts. Um, there's already been a tweet online that uh, said, uh, wow, uh, that truth hurt. Um, I love you guys. You know that, right? Wait a second. Uh, I love you. Do you know that? Okay, and we love God's word, right? Okay, and sometimes God's word is so wonderful that it deals with things that are oftentimes hard life issues like relationship conflicts. And uh, sometimes it's hard to talk about, but God's word talks about it. So we talk about it. That's one of the wonderful things about covering through a book like you, Philippians, where a lot of times, a lot of people, a lot of places, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches, the two verses. We're, by the way, we're only in two verses today. Did you know that? But guess what? Um, two verses don't correlate to the time thing uh, today. And, uh, but in these two verses here, a lot of times they'll just pass over it. Uh, but I've purposed in this whole series, we're spending this whole day on these two verses because it is so important to God. Okay. So Philippians chapter four, are you there? Okay. I got to get you guys a little bit more activity going on here. Responding back. Are we ready? Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Now we're getting there. Philippians chapter four, verses two and three. Paul's saying, I entreat Yodia, I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now, these two verses are so important to our whole series here that we've been going through in the book of Philippians. Uh, just consider this, Paul has been talking to us and all this time we've been covering about being one, about one. And out of oneness comes incredible joy out of that. It's really a call to, to go vertical together. God has always been about a people for himself, not just individuals for himself. And so it's a call to one. We're on this journey with that. And God is here. We're seeing how God is calling us to be this, a people for him. Here's some of the things we've covered. We're to be an only worthily living people, an only worthy of the gospel living people. We're to be a standing firm, side by side, not fearing people. That's out of Philippians chapter 1. We're to be a living out our salvation, to be more like Christ. That's the kind of people that we're supposed to be. We're also to be, uh, Philippians chapter 3, forgetting what is behind, pressing towards what's ahead. I want to know Christ kind of people. That's what we want to be. Uh, we're to be, last week, we're to be an imitating while awaiting the return of Christ kind of people. In essence, we're to be a going vertical together people. That is so much what Philippians is all about. And there is immense joy that comes out of that when that reality is happening. Immense joy. But that doesn't just happen. That must be purposed. Doug, why do you say that must be purposed? Well, simply because of this reason, simply because we're all sinners. Oh, Doug, I'm saved in Christ. Yeah, great. Sinner redeemed in Christ. We still have spiritual struggles, warfare. Here's the reality. We are all selfish people. 
I didn't want to quite come to church to have to hear that. But we all know that. Hey, I've got a question for us. Who is a selfish person in here? Every one of us. And by the way, if you haven't raised your arm, it's because you're selfish. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> okay. It's just the truth. Listen, I just, we just want to be a church that's real about things. We have issues. Every one of us has life issues because we're sinners. Listen, I want things to be my way and my time. Don't you? Yep, we do. It's just the fact of who we are. And here's the other fact of that. Because we're sinners, sin brings chaos ever since the Garden of Eden. Sin brings chaos. And sin, therefore, brings chaos into relationships. You put two sinners together, and what do you have? An incredible recipe for chaos right there. Right there, you have a perfect opportunity for it because we're natural at it. We're good at it. So as I'm talking about this topic today, here's the reality of it. You have conflict in your home. We have conflict in our home. (laughs) Really? Well, duh. Who doesn't? Conflict is a part of life all the time. You have conflict at work. You have conflict at home. You have conflict at school. You have conflict with friends. You have conflict in marriage. You have conflict with people at church, Christians. But Doug, you're not supposed to talk about it uh, like the passage does. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to deal with an incredibly touchy subject. But here we go. Seatbelts fastened. I want you to know, I love you guys. Okay, all right, let's take a little bit more look at the passage here. What's happening? Well, we've got two individuals that are not experiencing one. We have Yodia, we have Syntyche, just two individuals. Their names are kind of irrelevant to us. That just happens to be the case at this time. Are you surprised that two people are having conflict together in a church? Shouldn't be, shouldn't be, because we're all sinners. Their conflict, uh, I think we see out of the text, is significant conflict. Why do I say that? Because names are named. Uh, This is not normal for Paul to do this. Paul names names when he needs to name some names. Understand this. This letter is going to be read out loud to the church. Paul is not putting names in there to embarrass these individuals. He's not putting names in here so much to shame individuals. He's putting names in here in this particular situation to bring restoration to these individuals and to the church. It's a problem that has gone that wide. Okay, he's addressing it to the circle of impact, and it happens to be a circle that's the whole church. Uh, Let's talk about these two individuals here. Uh, These are both believers Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1, they're all saints he's writing to. It says the degree in the Lord. Well, he wouldn't be writing that to people who aren't saved. Uh, He he talks about how these two ladies have been involved in ministering with Paul side by side in the gospel. These are ministry-minded, mature, sharp ladies. Okay? That's the perspective. These aren't outside people that are like attacking the church, attacking the gospel. These are believers in Christ who have a real level of maturity in them. They have a level of prominence, a level of respect in it, and it's carrying itself into the church. I don't think it does. In fact, I think it's so cool. It doesn't tell us what the issue is, which is wonderful, frankly, because it makes it more broad. But I don't think it's a doctrinal issue. 
And the reason I say that is whenever you watch Paul in other situations and he addresses a conflict about a doctrine, he usually never names the name, but he does address the doctrine. And here we don't see that happening. I'm just going to say, this is Doug, my thinking. I think that's what's going on here is we have two individuals in a church who are mature individuals and they are disagreeing on ministry preference issues of some kind. I don't think these are pen theology issues. I think these are kind of pencil issues. These are preference issues. That's what I think. I'm going to kind of leave it there and I state it that way. But it's causing a level of dissension in the local church. So Paul addresses the situation because his circle of uh, impact is that wide. Again, let's remember, the whole letter is about calling people to be living as one. And the fact of the matter is, one isn't quite happening here in Philippi. And I love this fact. Paul's been teaching on this. He's been calling his people, God's people to be a one. And yet Paul also knows there's conflict. And so what does Paul do? Out of love for these individuals, out of love for this church, out of love for the Lord, he addresses it. And just two things I want to note here about how he addresses it. One, he calls uh, those in dissension to restore back to one. You see in the text, he, he entreats Yodia. He entreats Syntyche. By the way, it's, it's an emphasis because the verb is actually stated to both. He could have said, I entreat you, Yodia, and I treat, or, I'm sorry, I treat Yodia and Syntyche, but he has the verb twice. It, it's a direction. It's like, I'm entreating you both as mature women in Christ, as mature individuals in Christ. I, I'm calling both of you to do something. Uh, what the word means here is he's exhorting, he's pleading, he's urging, he's appealing them both. And he calls them to agree in the Lord. Listen, I'm calling you and I'm calling you. Come on. Back to one. Agree in the Lord. Uh, the word is just talking about there. It means live in harmony. It has the same mind. This doesn't mean that they come to a mutual agreement on the issue. They may till their death have different perspectives and preferences on what's what. But here's the deal. Agree in the Lord. That's something we can all come back to. It's when we start making our thing the thing. And we don't make God the thing. And by the way, I love the way one commentator talks about this. He says, it's, uh, I love this image because I'm such a visual thinker. It's talking about, he's entreating. It's take something and Bury it in the Lord. You know, God is a big God, grace and love, and, and, and he's awesome, and, he, and he's the great judge, the perfect judge, all this. Just take the thing and just bury it in the Lord, and then just let's go. I love that picture. I love that picture. And that's what he's entreating these two individuals to. Notice also in the text, he calls God's people to get involved as well. In it, he states, uh, I ask you, uh, I ask you also, true companion. The you there, it's not a plural you. And in most of Philippians, he's talking to the plural people. It's a singular. Paul is talking to a specific person. Some commentators and some of your Bibles will have at the bottom, they think it's this person. The truth of the matter is we don't know. Here's the point. Paul was also in this addressing a single person and saying to that person, hey, listen, I want you to get involved in helping. We'll see how that comes along later on here. Why? 
because this is about loving them, this is about loving the church, and this is about loving God, and God's people are to get involved. And so Paul is calling this person to get involved, to step in, and notice it says to help these women, to assist them. It's the idea of come to their aid. That's been so much. Philippians chapter 1, it talks about side by side. Stand firm side by side. These ladies have been trying to work, I'm going to assume, think the best. These ladies have been trying to work this through. It's not working through. It's come to a conflict. It's spread wide. It's having impact on the church. There's a potential that this local church in Philippi could have dissension among itself. And so Paul is addressing the issue, and he's calling some people to come in and be involved and to help these to come alongside them and help them resolve the situation. Paul knows that conflict cannot be swept under the rug and left unresolved. Unresolved conflict destroys. And we all know about it, don't we? We've all seen it. We've all seen how unresolved conflict just destroys. Let me remind you this before I go any further. Let me just remind us about our Lord. Our Lord is the great restorer. In fact, the entire gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it's all about restoration. It's a story of restoration. All have sinned and been separated from God, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Restoration. Christ died for sins once for all to bring you to God. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Our God is a restorer. That's what he's all about. And not only is he a restorer, but he's a protector of his restoring work. That's why he's so emphatic throughout Philippians. Listen, protect the gospel. Stand side by side firm on it. Listen, if the good news of Jesus Christ gets changed and morphed into something else, we're in big trouble. Why are we in big trouble? Because the gospel is about restoration, and if we lose the message of restoration, we lose the whole message. God is a God of restoring. God is a God of protecting his restoration. So let me just pause for a second and ask this. If God calls us to be a one people and God calls us knowing, by the way, I love the fact God knows we're going to have conflicts. So he calls us to be restoring, protecting people. I just want to ask this of this church harvest. Are you willing to do that and be that? The thing that could take this church down or any church is this issue right here. And some of you have been in churches where it's been taken down because of disunity. Because of situations just like this. Hey, I'm addressing this and I'm going to be addressing it quite intensely here for the purpose of this is about God. This is about God's people. And this is about us being the kind of people that God calls us to be, right? So we're going to go after it. So what does it look like to be a restoring, protecting person? Well, two things about it. Number one, we have to think rightly. And number two, we have to act rightly. I could also say this. We need to be people that think biblically, and we need to be people that act biblically, okay? So let's start with the thinking process first. By the way, don't you love these two little girls? Man, that tells the story, doesn't it? 1 Corinthians chapter 11, turn there, please. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11. We've got a number of passages. Usually I don't bounce around to passages like this, but today I need to for us to kind of get a biblical perspective on how we deal with conflict in life. Right now we're on the thinking thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's talking about this reality of, um, uh, I'm sorry, in the context, it's talking about the Lord's Supper. Communion is happening in Corinth. Corinth was a very carnal place. God's people proclaiming God's name and not living like it at all. And so this is a place that has real issues going on. This is an intriguing couple verses here. And part of this, what was happening in the Lord's Supper is that they would come together and just, it, was, it wasn't about the ceremony, it was about themselves. The, the really rich people, they would bring, they, they had this thing called the love feast. Someday if we have a building, uh, we'll, I'd love to be able to do this. After communion, you have a feast together, a potluck together. And that's what they would do in the day. And so what would happen is all the rich people would bring their, their potluck machine thing bob that's all gold plated and they'd put it up on the counter and they'd have their name on it so everybody knew that's doug's potluck gold thing i'm a bob i'm rich that kind of a thing and then you would have the poor who were there some of them oftentimes were coming and they were coming from the standpoint of hey this is country buffet meal time and it's just like let's go and let's have at it. No, I'm not. I don't care about what's taking place. I just want some food. Here's how it was supposed to happen. All of the divisions of economic and life separations were to be gone because we're all the same at the foot of the cross. And at the foot of the cross, those that have more are to bring it and share it with the poor. And the poor are to be able to come and have a conversation and loving one another. And the same thing with the rich. And everybody's like, who cares about who's who? Here's the reality. We are all redeemed people in Jesus Christ, period. But that wasn't happening in Corinth. Take a look. Verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do, not condemn, I do not commend you. In other words, there's problems. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. How sad is that? They're coming together for the Lord's Supper for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. I think the reason he's saying that is because all of the other junk that he's been addressing going on there. Look at verse 19, incredibly interesting. For there must be factions among you. That's interesting, isn't it? It says, listen, there must be schisms. There must be dissension among you. What? God wants that to take place? No, God never wants that to take place. But the reality is, as a sinful people, that's going to happen. They're going to come out. And God is so big, God can use even the worst of sins for his glory. And he's talking here in this. He's saying, listen, there must be factions among you. Why? In order that those who are genuine may be recognized. What are we talking about here? Well, let me, here's the big point. Conflict reveals. Conflict reveals. Uh, this is what uh, Paul is alluding to, and I want to go to a couple other passages to, so as we can see what we're really talking about. Uh, have you responded to conflict? I'm sorry. Have you responded to con- how you respond to conflict reveals what you believe about God? How you respond to conflict reveals who you are about. How you respond to conflict reveals who you, what your heart and your faith really is about. In fact, let's take a look at that. Conflict reveals, let's go to the next passage, James chapter 4. James chapter 4, turn to go right in your Bible. Conflict reveals my heart. Powerful passage here. 
James chapter 4. Conflict reveals my heart. Have you ever noticed, wondered what is it that causes fights? <laughs> this is, look, look how practical the Bible is. James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Boy, there's a question we've all asked. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Here we go. Is it not this? In other words, it is this. That your passions, in other words, your, your, your desires, your pleasures are war within you. It's in other words, I want it is a battle. I want versus what God wants. Verse two, you desire and you do not have. Look how serious this is. So you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain so you fight and you quarrel. Conflicts are heart revealers. If you want to know what you are about, if you want to know for real who you are about, look at how you deal with conflict. Why do you quarrel? Why do I quarrel? Because I'm not getting what I want. Because you're not getting what you want. That's the issue. Why do you fight? Because I'm not getting what I want. That's the issue. Uh, you see how that's a hard issue? Well, let me change this right now. now. Look at me. See, I go, that's a hard issue? Let me, let me move this. It's a heart issue. The heart is talking about the control center. Here in America, we view the heart as all the emotions like, oh, I love you. This is really talking about what drives the control center of my life. It's what I want. I want what I want, so I'm going to get what I want. That's what's going on here. Let me take you quickly through something that's been really helpful. It's uh, four things. It's called I desire, I demand, I judge, and I punish. Here's the process of where things go down the wrong avenue. This is the process of really living out an idol in life. Here we go. I desire. Uh, it's not wrong to desire things. Desiring things are fine. Let me just take an example of this. It's so common in marriage. I'm going to use this. I desire to be respected. I desire to be loved. Both of those are fine desires. Nothing wrong with those. There's not sinful desires. Nothing's wrong with that. But what do we do with that? See, when we take it to the place where I demand respect, I demand to be loved, we're now starting to head in the wrong direction. You must respect me. You must love me. Do you see how respect and love in this situation has now become an idol? I am bowing down to that right at the moment. I want it so bad that, that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it, even if that means I'm going to sin to get it. Then I judge. You're not giving me the respect that I deserve. You're not giving me the love that I expect. By the way, are respect and love wrong? No. But do you see where it's going here? Ah, you are not giving it. Therefore, you're a bad friend. You're a bad spouse. You're a bad parent. You're a bad small group leader. You're a bad pastor. You are a bad Christian because you should know that the Bible says you should respect me. You should know that the Bible says you should love me and you're not. Maybe that's true. So 
I desire moves into an I demand and then I judge. And then when I make that judgment, I then punish. You're not doing that. You deserve to be punished. And so I'm going to bite your head off with words that kill and destroy. Or here's another one. I'm going to punish you. I'm just going to withhold myself. And I'm just going to, rather than blow up, I'm going to clam up. Take that, loser. Or I'm just going to leave. We know this, don't we? Maybe you don't, but I do. We know this, don't we? That's why it's so hard to talk about this topic. Because we're getting at the real nuts and bolts of life here, friends. And this is where we end up going down this path. Those quarrels are all about what's going on in your heart. Listen, right now, I know there's a whole bunch of butts that are going on. But Doug, I'm right. But Doug, he isn't loving me. But Doug, she isn't respecting me. But Doug, the whole situation's not fair. Maybe so, but hear me. God is all about what's going on in the worship of your heart. That's what God's all about. That's what's taking place here. Who are you worshiping? When we go down this road, guess what? We're not worshiping God in this one iota. We're worshiping ourselves in the whole process. Conflicts reveal, conflicts reveal my heart. Let's go to the next passage. First Peter chapter one, conflicts reveal my faith. Take a right one page. First Peter chapter one, conflicts reveal my faith. Look at this. Verse six and seven. In this you rejoice. (laughs) That's a hard one. In this, though you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Would you not agree that conflict is a trial of life? You lose sleep in conflict. It's hard. It rips you up. You just, you don't eat or you eat. You you just, whatever, it has huge impact on you. It's grieving reality. Conflict is a trial. So the passage is talking about that. Verse seven, so that the tested genuineness of your faith which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's refined by fire. Here's the point of it. Listen, it's the process that is the gold. We oftentimes look at the end result as the issue. We just got to get to the end result. God is like, fine with the end result, whatever. I'm looking at the process of you being a worshiper of me through the entire process. Verse 7, so that the test of genuineness of your faith, jump down, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We get so literally hell-bent on wanting what we want that we completely forget about the whole process. And we're not worshiping God at all in it. We're actually worshiping ourselves in it. And what this is showing, I really don't have much faith in God at all. And in fact, I can go talk God, act God, teach God, all kinds of God stuff. And guess what? In conflict, that's when it shows who you're really about. In conflict, do you see a sovereign God seeking to grow you to be more like Christ? 
remember Jesus Christ going to the cross down the Via Dolorosa. People that he created, people whom he loves, and they're chucking spitballs and words and cuts and all kinds of things at him. And where's he going? Oh, yeah, Gethsemane. I don't really want to do this, Father. But not my will, your will. You see, not my will. It's not about me. It's not the worship of me. It's about the worship of the Father. It's about the worship of the Godhead in it. So when we talk about Christ is trying to grow you to be more like Christ, that fits with Philippians chapter 3. In conflict, do you see a sovereign God giving you the opportunity to worship him? Hey, do you really want to know if you're a worshiper of God? How do you and I act in conflict? That's where the real meat shows. Because it's so easy, isn't it? It's just so easy to worship and talk God when life's just going along well. But then when it starts tanking and when it gets hard, then the heart starts showing. Then my real faith starts showing. Where's God in this? He doesn't even care. Conflict. In it, do you see God giving you an opportunity to minister to other people? Or, in conflict, do you just see in it as completely ruining your life, ruining your plan, ruining your comfort, ruining your peace? Oh, I have to say, so often I do. This is so hard to talk on because I live this too. You're not doing it my way. You're not doing it in my time. Well, that's just the way I always grew up. We did it that way. That's the way I've always seen it. That's the way I've just always done it. So? So? Who are we about? What does God have to say about it? What does God set out for us to be? We need to get ourselves in line with that, don't we? We do. Right thinking about conflict. Right thinking is that it reveals my heart and it reveals my faith. So how am I supposed to act? What am I supposed to do? Three passages on it. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. First, get the log out. I just want to note to you, by the way, everything I've been talking about so far can happen in seconds. A conflict comes along. The dog comes in and... Goes to the bathroom on the carpet. Right then. Wait, you know what? Conflicts reveal my heart. Conflicts reveal my faith. How am I going to act? I'm bringing in a scenario like that because even with my dog, it changes how I begin to think about the whole situation and what I end up doing with it. In that quick, 
that quick. That's why thinking drives what we do. So what are we supposed to do? First, get the log out. Matthew chapter 7, look at this. Judge not that you not be judged, verse 1. Verse 2, for the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I've got to pause and make this statement. Everybody look at me. The measure that you measure other people with, guess what? God is going to use that measuring stick on you. That's what that text is saying. Oh, my. Oh, living my. That just makes me draw back and go, I need to have a little tiny measuring rod. Because if I'm harder on other people, if I'm a hard guy on people, guess what? God's going to be a hard God on me in measuring. That's what this is talking about. Jesus is telling this. Let's go verse 3. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, in your sister's eye, uh, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye because actually I'm so good and I know everything and I'm right on everything and the way I want everything, it's just always right and I can really help you become a lot better if you just listen to me. Oh, the pride in that. Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a gigantic, enormous log beam in my own eye. That's all packed within the Greek. Verse 5, you hypocrite. You see how serious this is? You hypocrite first. What? Wait, what number? First, take the log out of your own eye. That's the point. Let me put that in some other words. You and I, you are to take your sin more seriously than other sin. Marriage situation, spouse, you take your sin more seriously than the other sin. And I just want to lovingly call you out right at this moment. If you are sitting next to your spouse, and as I'm talking about it, you're like, go, Doug, go, bro, man. Just lay it out because he, she needs to hear it. I'm talking to you not them. Get the log out. That's what Jesus is saying here. I'm talking about your sin. I'm talking about my sin. You're to be harder on your sin than you are on others. Let me put it this way. Karen and I use this all the time. You're to be 100% about whatever your percent of the problem is. You see, here's how people in conflict usually go. <laughs> I'm 40% of the problem. They're 60% of the problem. So let's deal with their stuff because they got a bigger piece of the pie. I could care less about who, what percent of the problem you have. The issue is this. You be 100% about your percent of the problem. That's what the text is saying here. If you literally, if God were to come down and God were to say, you know what, uh, Doug, you're really 5% of that problem with that person. They're 95% of the problem. God would also be telling me this. I want you to get 100% after your 5%. We play the measuring game. Who's the worser one? Uh, God is playing this. I play the worship game. Who's worshiping me in this? You're to be 100% about your percent of the problem. Are you harder on your boss's issues than yours? Are you harder on your kids' issues than yours, parents? Parents, I just want to make this note. I am personally concerned that a big reason we see that 70% 
of kids who leave and get older and never return to the church or the Christian faith. One of the biggest reasons I'm concerned about that is because of Ephesians chapter 6. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And kids sit there in a home and they see mom and dad or they see mom or they see dad, depending on your situation, and they see them just hard on their issues. And they don't see a dad, they don't see a mom that's hard on their own issues. And a child is sitting there watching a mom, watching a dad just be hard and hard and hard, realizing they know you've got issues too. And it's like, excuse me, but could you set an example for me on how to do this? And we get so hard on their issues, never hearing their father ask their child for forgiveness. Like they've never sinned against their child. Oh, how that scares me to death. Are your kids hearing you ask for forgiveness? Are your kids watching you get after your sin in front of them? They need that. How you, use, how you judge others, God is going to judge you. Get the log out. Ouch, this hurts. Number two, I got to move. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Give it up. <laughs> Give it up. 1 Peter 4, chapter 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Are you a lover of other people? I mean, earnestly so. Oh, man, I just pray. I've got to grow in that area. I've got to continue to grow in that area because we're just so naturally about ourselves. Listen, be a lover of others. Be, be a lover of them. I want to be earnestly loving other people because think of this. Innately contained within love is a massive amount of ability to forgive. For God so, what? Loved the world. Listen, if we're not a lover of others, this whole thing that we're talking about, this is killing us. This is just going to kill you because you're not a lover of others. Here's what it's saying. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love just covers sins. It's like, get off of being so hard and just love people. My goodness, the grace that God has laid upon me and the massive forgiveness God has laid upon me, that God has laid upon you. Friends, dispense it. Push it out. Jesus talks about a parable like that. Forgiving. Listen, God has given you so much forgiveness if you know Christ as your Savior, and then we withhold it from others. <laughs> True, isn't it? Come on. Believe me, I'm talking to me. Proverbs 10 12 hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 12 16 a fool shows his annoyance at once. Hey, are you a quick trigger with your annoyance? I'm not talking to the person next to you. I'm talking to you. Are you a quick trigger with annoyance, with anger? Well, what does the Bible call you? I, 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 straight up, what does it call you? A fool. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man 
overlooks an insult. I think that was just an insult. <laughs> okay, onward ho, grab it. I'm going to bury it in Christ. Because how many times in my life have I lived as an insult to the name of Christ? And he buries it. Proverbs 19.11, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Are you a, I'm hard on others and I don't overlook an offense? Or are you just a, I choose to overlook that, I'll bury that in God's grace. If things get to where it's just the reality is, not all things can be buried in his grace. If it continues to be a battle of your mind, if it continues to be a struggle for you to bury it, if it it's just something that you know needs to be addressed, what are you supposed to do? Point number three, our last point, go and restore. Go and restore. Two passages and we've got we've to wrap it. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, 23 to 24. This is going to be a big one here for the rest of our time. I'm going to even make mention of it a little bit later here when we, a couple minutes when we take communion. Verses 23, it says, Jesus says here again, Sermon on the Mount, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother is something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, here's another first. First, Be reconciled to your brother. Be reconciled to your sister. And then come and offer your gift. Oh, I could just spend a lot of time on this, but let me try and sum it up this way. This is a go restore. Why? Because it's so important to God. The horizontal is so important to God. In fact, God is saying here, listen, if there is a known unresolved conflict going on out there, You could worship and walk and work for me. You could be serving in the name of Christ for me. You could even be teaching God's word in my name kind of a thing in your life. And yet if that isn't resolved, it's empty. Because if the vertical reality is not being lived out in our horizontal reality, God's like, don't play the game with me. I'm all about restoration. And if my children aren't going to live a restoration life, you're a hypocrite. Don't play the game. So if you're at the altar and you're offering your gift, oh God, here we go. It's all about you singing. Oh, it's all about you. And there's conflict going on back here. God's going like, go get it taken care of and then come back. Do you see the reason I'm so intense? Do you see how important this is? God is so serious about dealing with conflict that you and I could literally be doing ministry in the name of Christ and God can use it. He's big enough. But as far as my actually being a worshiper of him in it all, it's just like la, 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 la. 
Doug, you're just being a big fake in it. Man, this is hardcore, isn't it? I'm going to take the silence as, yeah. Turn to Matthew 18. What about, what do I do when someone sins against me? Again, just real quickly. So why do I go? Why do I seek this restoration? Because I love that person. I love that person. And if they're in serious, or or, or if they're in real sin, then my goodness, that means that there's a barrier between their walk with Christ. and, And I love them so much. I don't want for that to happen. And they're my brother in Christ. And I don't want to have this kind of unresolved conflict going on. I can't have that happen because God sees it so seriously. That's why Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother, if your sister sins against you, and this is in the context of if it's like I can't give it up or it's something that has to be dealt with, go and tell him his fault. Now, by the way, that does not mean go and go, you know what? You're a sinner and I saw it because I'm just walking around looking for people to sin. That's what I love doing. (laughs) That's not what's going on here. It's like Billy Bob. Can we talk? Because, man, I love you. I love the Lord. I love our relationship. And, frankly, I'm just concerned. Can we talk for a little bit? Because I've got some questions. I'm concerned that some sin has happened here. And if it is, we need to make this right. Because I love you. And I love the Lord. And I love God's people enough to do that. By the way, I'm not calling mom. I'm not calling my sisters or brothers. I'm not calling a bunch of other people. I'm not putting it online. No, no, I'm keeping the circle tight. And I'm going to address it with them out of love for them. I want to protect them because you know what? I may go and actually find out I'm the one in the wrong. I may have actually understood the whole situation wrong. And that brother, that sister is going to be able to help clarify it for me. Maybe it's going to end up actually in this, I need to ask for their forgiveness. It's going to learn. It's going to restore. And in the text, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Verse 16, but if he doesn't, in other words, you still think it's a sin issue. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Again, this isn't I'm here to attack you. I'm here to take you out. This is I love you. And I'm so concerned that that this sin, after we talked about it, I still think this is sin. And so I'm going to grab my small group leader and someone else. I'm not going to get my mom who's going to take my side in it. Okay, I'm going to go grab someone with some maturity, grab a deacon, grab an elder, grab a small group leader. And I'm going to come and we're going to sit down and go, no, we love each other, don't we? Yeah, we need to talk this out. And you guys need to be able to hear this so you can help us understand. They may end up coming back and saying, Doug, you're the one that's in this sin. Would you open your eyes up and ask for forgiveness? And I need to be at a place where it's like, oh, my word, thank you for the counsel you've given. Because by the way, the scripture at the end, it says where two or three are gathered my name, there I am with that. That's not talking about all coming together. That's talking about in the context of this. If the two of you see it this way, I got to see that as God's word. And so I'm going to heed to it. And if that doesn't work, just because of time, let's just take it to the church. Take it to the elders of the church and we'll deal with it from there. Uh, Sometimes it may be a public kind of a thing where we have to say, friends, we have a brother or sister in Christ with. We've been uh, seeking over months and months and months. Listen, I'd rather err on the end of patience and allow God to work than to be quick at things. 
But over the time, it's come to our attention. We've dealt with it, and we're just saying, listen, this person has shown that they're unrepentant, and we just need to now move into a stage where as a church, they've got to be removed from our membership, and we now need to love on them as though they're unsaved. This is hard stuff. You mean, Doug, you might do that someday? Um, Look at me. Yeah. Well, that's unloving. No, it's not. Listen to me. Done in the right kind of way. That's the absolute most loving thing you could ever possibly do. Because we love that person enough. We love the church enough and we love the Lord enough. Okay? Hard stuff, isn't it? Conflict is hard stuff. When God's people are restorers of relationships, God is glorified. When God's people protects one, God's name is lifted high. When you and I, people who love one another to be able to glorify his name and all of this, friends, God is honored and lifted up. And yet when we are people that just allow things to be unresolved, that is so not like our Savior. We want to be restorers. We want to be protectors of one. We need to be that. We need to be that.